Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, how many uh, Black Friday shoppers do we have here today? I give you guys a lot of kudos. I mean, my wife and I sat in our living room with our fireplace burning on Friday, and we said we'd much rather be here than out there in all that chaos, and it was just such a Wonderful, relaxing holiday weekend for us. Trust you had that as well. Regardless of what you did, we trust it was a great time and uh, you found your life um, filled with gratitude for the good things God has done. Um, this, is, this has just been a wonderful year as I look back on all that God has done in our life and that God has done in the lives of people here at Grace Crossing Church. So we welcome all of you this morning. We know we might have some family in that are visiting here for the holidays. We welcome you, and we're thankful that you've joined us this morning. So we're in the middle of a series called It's Possible, and in this series we are using this theme verse, which happens also to be our state motto from Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Here's what it says, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible are possible. So we began this series by talking about with God, it's possible to be deeply transformed. The second week with God, it's possible to live with limits, to embrace our limits that we have in life. And we all have limits that we have to learn to see as a gift from God. Last weekend with God, it's possible to be generous with our gratitude. How often we are stingy with our gratitude. Uh, We just don't come back to return thanks to God. And last week, it was a beautiful display of the glory of God up here as we had, I think, nearly 80 people between two services that came and just returned thanks to God for what he had done in their life. And how many of you, by applause, think that would be a great thing to repeat again next year? It was the first time we did it, but but I think that might be something we want to bring back again next year. Well, this morning... I want to talk about a topic that's going to be difficult for especially uh, many of us here and especially many of the men that sit here this morning. But I think for all of us, this is a more challenging topic because it's one we often don't think about and we certainly don't talk about very often. And here's what I want to talk about today. With God, it's possible to become an emotional adult. With God, it's possible to become an emotional adult. So just recently, I again, for the fourth time in 15 years, took an emotionally healthy assessment. I I took it for the very first time in 2004, and I've taken it now three other times since then to just track my growth in emotional health. And Author Peter Scazzaro actually uh, evaluates eight different areas of our life, and then he measures each one and categorizes them with a particular um, label. So the four different categories are uh, emotional infant, emotional child, emotional adolescent, and emotional adult. When I first took the assessment in 2004, I was actually shocked that I did not make it to emotional adult in one of the eight areas. As I looked at my line, it was a wake-up call to me. 
And everything inside of me actually wanted to ignore the results. I actually thought it would be good to just move on with my life and not really address or deal with these different aspects of my life. And what I did instead is I chose to see it as God's invitation to me, as an invitation for me to grow. So I began to lean in, and I began to trust God in these different areas of my life. Now, you might be asking yourself this morning, what is an emotional infant? What is an emotional child? Uh, What does an emotional adolescent look like and an emotional adult? Well, let me just share with you um, just a few bullet points under each of these to help us understand uh, what we're talking about. Emotional infants look for others to take care of them, have great difficulty entering into the world of others, are driven by need for instant gratification, use others as objects of their needs. How about emotional children? They're content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, trials. Interpret disagreements as personal offenses. They are easily hurt and offended. Emotional adolescents tend to be defensive threatened and alarmed by criticism, keep score of what they give so they can ask for something later in return. Do you remember when? They deal with conflict poorly and are critical and judgmental. And finally, emotional adults, they're able to ask for what they need, want, and prefer clearly directly, and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and their own feelings. They can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. They respect others without having to change them. And they give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. Any of those resonate with you this morning? Find yourself uh, gravitating as I read those to certain categories? It's okay. I did as well and I still do. Because when I recently took the emotionally healthy assessment, I still did not score as an emotional adult in every one of the categories. And I found myself still being invited by God into growing in my life and trusting him in this area of my life. And so this morning, we're going to dive into this topic, and we're going to talk about it because we think here at Grace Crossing Church, this is inseparable from spiritual maturity. You cannot become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Those two are inseparable. If you have a spiritual issue, you have an emotional issue. If you have emotional challenges, you also have spiritual challenges. They go hand in hand. And so we believe here at Grace Crossing Church, it's a big part of our vision. We see an emotionally healthy church, and we believe that it's God's invitation to all of us to grow in emotional health. Let me just say right here at the beginning that we are in the season of giving. 
And I want to encourage you to give yourself a gift this Christmas. And here's the gift I want to encourage you to give yourself. I want to encourage you to register for our brand new Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, which is beginning on January the 21st of 2020. This brand new Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course here at Grace Crossing Church is our way of keeping this moving in the fabric and the fiber of Grace Crossing Church. It is helping us not just have a language for it, but learn how we're going to better integrate this into our lives. For me, I started out myself doing it, but it took me time to begin to integrate it into my family and into my leadership and learn how to not just think about emotional health, but actually begin to function in a more emotionally healthy way, in an adult way. And so I just encourage you, registration for this is open this morning. Uh, You could actually give yourself a great gift this holiday season by either going to um, to the Church Center app, and you can register right there, or you can go to our registration page at our website, and there at our registration page, you'll see the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, and you can register for that today. And I would urge you, to prayerfully consider taking the next step in in your growth uh, in this area. So this morning, let's talk about it. Paul the Apostle, who is credited with authoring um, nearly half of the New Testament, writes what is arguably his most significant letter to the Christians that are living in the city of Corinth. He actually writes two letters. But in his first letter, to uh, the Christians living in Corinth, he actually has a chapter in there, which is his Magna Carta. It's called the love chapter. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul outlines incredible ways that love functions and looks. But here's what's interesting. Right in, tucked within the love chapter, Paul actually pens these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. I want you to notice the progression here. Paul says the first thing that we do and we do this as children without even thinking it, we start to communicate. We start to talk, right? We aren't even thinking about what we're saying. We won't even remember what we say. But as children, we begin to communicate and talk. And over time, with lots of practice, we start to learn how to think like children and then how to reason with childlike reasoning. And here's the reality. If during your childhood, you never learned how to reason like an adult, you will grow up physically, but you will remain a child emotionally. So here's my premise for this talk. Children eventually grow up, but not every child becomes an adult. Right? Children are going to grow up eventually. But growing up and maturing are two different things. 
Every child will eventually grow up, but not every child will actually become an adult. And what Paul is suggesting here is this. There are behaviors and ways that we learn to think. In fact, we get 18 years of our life to learn how to be children. And then all of a sudden we're thrust into adulthood. And if we have not had a good model, if we've not learned how to think and reason like adults, we won't talk like adults. And we certainly won't behave like adults. We'll actually grow up physically, but we'll remain stunted in our growth emotionally. And so Paul here says there's only one way that we can move beyond this. There's only one way that we can actually begin to love the way God wants us to love. Remember, this is tucked in the love chapter. Love is a learned behavior. It's something that we see modeled. It's something that we watch. It's something that we experience. And then we, in turn, can give it to ourselves, to others, and ultimately to God in an adult way. And Paul says we have to do this. We have to set aside childish ways. And that does not happen on accident. We don't wish that to happen. In fact, we don't even will that to happen. This takes the work of God deep in the fiber of our being to move us to a place where we can begin to address, see, and then set aside those childish ways that we have all carried with us in life. The question is this morning, how do we do this? Well, I think becoming an emotional adult is going to mean that we have to have a willingness to do three things. And I want to unpack them for us this morning. To become an emotional adult, we've got to have the willingness to do three things. Here's the first. We have to have a willingness to make ourselves emotionally available to God. We must have a willingness to make ourselves emotionally available to God. I graduated high school when I was 17 years old. A week after I graduated, I moved out of my hometown of Elverson, Pennsylvania, that I finally called Crazyville, and I moved into another home. I began to live on my own in a home that was vacated for the summer months. Here's what happened. When I moved out of my house at the age of 17, I took with me a few pieces of physical baggage. But I took a truckload of emotional baggage. I carried with me a whole lot more than just physical luggage and physical baggage. I also carried emotional baggage. And much, much of it I didn't even realize early in my young adulthood that it was there. I didn't identify it. And what I did identify, I wasn't being honest about. And so here's what I've learned. I've learned that whatever we bear in our childhood, in our family of origin, that is our burden to bear in our adulthood. We will carry it with us. So as I think about people emotionally, I think every one of us in this category can fit into one of four different categories as it re relates to our childhood, our upbringing, our family of origin. Some of us here are actually what I would call emotionally frozen. 
By that, I mean you grew up in a family where everybody felt emotion, but nobody ever admitted they had it. Nobody ever named it. And so because you didn't see healthy uh, naming or dealing with emotion from adults, you actually didn't feel safe to talk about what your emotions were. And in the process of that, you shut off that part of your heart. You became emotionally frozen. And you in adulthood don't know how to deal with the deepest emotions you feel. For others of us here, we grew up in a family where emotions were talked about all the time. In fact, they were expressed all the time. The problem is they were always sideways. Emotions were never dealt with in healthy, mature ways. You didn't see it modeled in trusted adults. And what you saw is people that were disrespecting and dishonoring and devaluing their emotions and not talking to each other, but talking over each other, talking past each other. And because of that, you became emotionally fragmented. And you find it really difficult today to know how to have healthy adult relationships because you did not see it modeled in your home. For some of us here, you experienced trauma as a child. The adults that you were supposed to trust actually took advantage of your innocence and robbed you of your childhood. And as a result, you became emotionally fragile. You found your life filled with so much fear and even so much anger, but did not know what to do and where to go. So you bottled it up. You pressed it down. You kept it hidden in secret. And the reality is, because of the emotional fragility, it has affected all of your relationships. You find yourself not trusting anyone. And then there are some of us here that I would say grew up emotionally fulfilled. You grew up in a family where dealing with emotion was just a normal part of life. If you felt sad, you talked about your sadness. You had people who empathized with your sadness in appropriate ways. If you felt anxious or angry, you were not punished for those feelings, but rather you were given a safe place to process through them and to deal with them. And if you felt happy, my goodness, people came off, they came unglued to celebrate their happiness, your happiness with you, to actually let you know that it was a good thing you were feeling that and they wanted you to enjoy every single moment of your happiness. And so all of us here this morning, we, are, we will land in one of those areas. We will find ourselves in one of those areas. We are either emotionally frozen today, we are emotionally fragmented, we're emotionally fragile, or we find ourselves emotionally fulfilled. And those who do not come to God emotionally fulfilled are going to have to get the Lord into that area of their life which is why we've got to make ourselves available to God emotionally. Now, since my journey began in this, here's what I've, here's what I've learned about emotions. I've learned that I cannot separate what I do from what I feel. Go ahead and try. It is impossible to separate what you do 
from what you feel. Feelings are that powerful. Emotions are that powerful. The second thing I learned is that emotion is not debatable. Have you ever tried to argue with somebody why they shouldn't feel that way? Right? I mean, I did it with my wife early on when my wife was struggling with anxiety and didn't know where it was coming from. I did not struggle with anxiety. I had no clue what it was like to walk in her shoes. And until she was diagnosed with anxiety disease, until I began to understand and read books about what she was living, what her life was like, I would say to her from time to time, why do you feel that way? Just get over it. You don't just get over things, right? They're real. And what I learned is that, that because of that, I had to say, listen, emotion is not up for debate. In fact, I would say to you, there are not good and bad emotions. There's not emotions that are negative and positive. Emotions are what they are. And what we have to do is learn how to get in touch with what they are, to be present with God with what they are, to listen to what God is saying in what they are. I've learned that I'm responsible to regulate my emotions, but watch this, my, my emotions also then regulate me. It works both ways. I'm always being regulated by my emotions, but I have a responsibility with God's help to begin to regulate and begin to address what it is and where those emotions are coming from. And finally, I learned this. To ignore my emotions is to ignore the voice of God. Now, that may be a bold statement, but here's why I say that. You and I are created in the image of God. God is filled with emotion. Read the Bible. God is filled. He feels everything deeply. We sang about it this morning. God's jealous love is after us. He feels that for us. God experiences grief and sorrow and, and sadness. He experiences anger and frustration. And, and, and sometimes it seems like God goes mad with it, right? Because those are real emotions. You and I are created in the image of God, and God does not just speak to us in our emotion, but it's often the starting place where God begins a journey with us, and it typically begins in our emotion. So the, so the first way for us to become emotional adults, to move into emotional adulthood, is for us to make ourselves emotionally available to God. That is a great starting point. But there's a second thing we've got to be willing to do. We must have a willingness to get God's perspective on our past. This is where things get really interesting. We must have a willingness to get God's perspective on our past. For many people, Christianity is all about the future, right? We think in terms of our life coming to Jesus and our life before Jesus. And we don't want to think about our life before Jesus, but we're so grateful for the life that we can have in him now. And we certainly love what's coming into the future, right? Eternal life. Like, like we are a futuristic people. We think about tomorrow. But we do it at the detriment of bringing God with us into our past. Think of it as a, as a car that you get in. You don't just have a front mirror and a front window. You also have a rear window, 
How many of you are like me during this time of the year when it snows? You clean your front window, but you ignore your rear window. I mean, anybody else like me? I mean, I sometimes don't even think about my rear window. Like, who cares what's behind me, right? I just, I just want to make sure nothing's ahead of me. I'll just turn on like the defrost and let that take care of it, but I'll just make sure the front window's clean. In order to become emotionally healthy, to become an emotional adult, we at times need to clean the rear window so that we have a clear picture of not just what's in front of us, but also what's behind us. So last week, I, um, I went to Philadelphia to spend a few days with my mom. I thought I was going to visit my mom in her new facility that she's been moved to just a few months ago, and I, I knew I wouldn't get there at the holidays, so I thought if I could just get there for a few days, I could visit with her. Uh, in her new facility and get to know her new home and her new, the new uh, roommates that she has and people that are living in the facility with her. I was flying on Tuesday night and on Monday night, my mom was admitted to the hospital in emergency where she spent all week. And so instead of going to her home, which I still have never seen, I spent three days, three and a half days in a hospital room. Two and a half of those days sitting beside the bed of my mom who was incoherent. Six hours one day, no communication. Eight hours the next day, no communication. Virtually all of Friday, no communication. And miraculously, to the doctor's and nurse's astonishment, at four o'clock on Friday, she opened her eyes. And so I did get to spend Friday night and a little time on Saturday morning before I flew back with her. But in addition to getting... uh, reconnected with my mom over the last year. I also have gotten reconnected with my, my family, my biological brothers and sisters in a deeper way. And I've had a front row seat into what life was like for me as a child. Not only am I hearing stories, some of the stories I've never heard, stories about our childhood I didn't even realize because I was so young when my mom and dad divorced but I'm also getting an upfront seat to what it was like emotionally, and I remember what it was like to be a child in my home. What's amazing is I'm still watching many of those same traits and behaviors lived out, but not in children anymore. They're being lived out now in adults. But it's just like it was when they were kids. And I scratch my head, and I think, is this even possible? And then I realized something. I realized that but for God's grace, that's the way I'd be living. I would still be emotionally stuck in my past. How many of you remember these characters? I think we have a video or a picture. Anybody remember these characters? Anybody know the movie? Yeah, some of you have seen it. 1985, it was released. It's a story of Marty McFly, who with the help of Dr. Emmett Brown, goes back accidentally to 1955 and gets to see what his life was like, what his family was like before he was ever born. I mean, there's so many powerful scenes in this movie, but one of the most powerful is when he sees his dad when his dad was his age. And he cannot believe that that's his dad. 
He's going, is that my dad? Is that what my dad was like at my age? And he's having to relive his own history. Now, in this case, what he's trying to do is he's trying to change certain parts of the narrative so that he can change his own future. Let me just say this. God is not interested in rewriting your past. But God is interested in repurposing it for his glory. God is not calling us on us to go back so that we can alter things in the past, so that we can make changes or corrections. But what God is asking us to do is be willing to get his perspective on our past, not to make corrections, but to make connections. Because there's something that's happening there that still often affects us here in the future. You know, there's an old adage. And the old adage is that if I do not look to the past for what it is, and I'm not honest about it, I am doomed to repeat it. If I ignore the past, I can be doomed to repeat the past. Why? Because we are all products in many ways of our past. Our past has had a huge bearing on shaping who we are as individuals. Let me say to you, if you want God's blessing on your future, you must first get God's perspective on your past. If you want God's favor on your future and what lies ahead, and you want the fullness of what God has in store for you, you also need to get his perspective on your past. So like Marty McFly, many of us are stuck in the scripts and the stories and the patterns of our family of origin. We actually are victims of it. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is a different way. There is another way. There is a better way. There is God's way. Philippians chapter 2, here's what it says. Verses 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act, to fulfill his good pleasure. Continue to work out your salvation. Wasn't our salvation worked out when we gave our life to Jesus? Isn't that it? No, that's the open door. That's the beginning. The moment we place our faith and our trust in Christ, it actually provides us grace to begin to do what God all along desired for us to do. And that was to integrate. That word workout could be integrate. Continue to integrate your salvation into every area of your life. Why? Because God is at work in you. God wants to do something in you. Why? Because God has a good plan, a good pleasure, a good future, a good purpose. And he doesn't want us to remain stuck in the way things used to be. And here's what I've learned. To work out our salvation, though it isn't easy, it is essential to our spiritual formation. Working out our salvation is not easy, but it is critical, it is essential to our spiritual formation. If we want to become 
all that God has for us, it's going to mean we need God's perspective on our past. Why? Because so often, things that happen in one generation are carried on to the next generation. The attitudes, the behaviors, the ways that people treated each other, the sins of one generation are actually going to affect the next generation. Exodus chapter 20 actually speaks to this. Verse 5. I, the Lord your God, here it is again, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. What is the Bible suggesting here? What's the Bible teaching? It is teaching that it is not uncommon to see similar behaviors and similar activities lived out from one generation to another generation. It, you see, all of us, we have a tendency to minimize how deeply the imprint of our family of origin and our past has on our future. We simply minimize it. We ignore it. But what the Bible is suggesting here is it's not uncommon to see certain things passed on from one generation to the next. Abuse, addiction, abandonment, issues with authority, divorce, promiscuity, the inability to have stable, healthy relationships. All of those things are coming out of the ways that we learned how to do these things. And what the Bible says is those things will carry on from one generation to another. But here's the reality. The reality is that your past does not have to determine your future. God is the one who can determine it. That's what the very next verse says, verse number six. But I lavish, I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Here's what that means. That means the cycles can be broken. The patterns can be changed. Stories can have a different ending from where they began. And I think of this often when I think about the generations that are going to follow me. Because the love of one generation, God's love, is going to follow in the generations that are going to follow. It's going to be passed on. That's God's promise to us. And so for all of us here this morning, I want to challenge us that if if we're going to actually grow into adulthood, we've got to make ourselves emotionally available to God. We also need to get God's perspective on our past. And there's one final thing we need to do. And that is we need to have a willingness to exchange our old life for new life in Jesus. We must have a willingness to exchange our old life for the new life that is offered to us in Christ.
so interesting to me that when Jesus wanted to have relationship with an individual, that Jesus often said, you need to be born again. Now, I want you to think of that term, born again. It's also spoken of in Scripture as the second birth, which means we have a biological birth, but then we can have a spiritual birth, a new birth where we are born anew. And this new birth that is offered to us through Jesus Christ is not transactional. It's transformational. It's not about God just changing the way you think about heaven. It's about God changing everything inside of you. In fact, it's not about getting you to heaven. It's about getting heaven into you so that your life is totally transformed. Ephesians Chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Listen to what Paul writes. He actually shares this very same thing in more than one of his letters to the churches. He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So he's, he's referring in contrast to a life that we lived before Jesus. And he says, this is the way people live in the futility of their minds. They're simply not thinking about God. They're not, they're not honoring God with their lives. That's just not the way you learned it. And Paul goes on to say, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and Holiness. This is not a one-time act. Like Paul here is not saying, do this once and you're done with it. You'll never have to do it again. The words actually appear in the present active tense, which means Paul is actually saying, continually put off your old self, the way you learn to behave, the way you learn to think, the way you learn to talk, continually put it off. Continually be renewed in the way that you think, in the attitude of your mind, and then continually put on the new self created in the likeness of God. Also, don't think of this as linear, as though it's a step one, step two, step three. Like, I'll do this first, then I'll change my attitude and then I'll put on my new self. No, this is dynamic. This is actually all happening and we're invited into all of it simultaneously. And what God is saying is, here's the steps that you must take. You must choose to continually take the old patterns, the old scripts, the old behaviors, the old way of thinking, the old stories. You've got to change the attitude of your mind. And then you've got to put on the way that I've taught you how to live which is an honesty and openness and transparency and humility and with filled with grace and receiving and giving in a healthy way, learning how to love deeply and love well, which we'll talk about next weekend. We do it all, but we don't do it. Don't think of this as a work that you do. This is a work God does in you. 
This is a gift of God's grace to you. And so this morning, let me close with this scripture from Mark chapter 3 as we prepare communion elements as our band comes this morning and we prepare to receive the elements. One day, Jesus is gathered with uh, his closest disciples. And while they were in the home, the doors to the home were apparently locked, and outside stood his mom, his brothers, and his sisters, biologically. And one of the disciples come to Jesus, and they say to him, Jesus, your family wants to see you. They want to come. They want to be a part of this gathering. Here's so interesting. Jesus looks around the table at those gathered with him, and here's what he says. Jesus asked, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Then he looked at the people sitting around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who obeys God is my brother or sister or mother. Here's what Jesus is saying. All of us have two families. All of us have two families. We have a biological family. We have a family of origin. When we become Christ followers, we also have a spiritual family. The way that we lived in our biological family is often out of sync with the way we are called to live in God's family. The way that we functioned as children in our biological family is often inconsistent. In fact, it is diametrically opposed to the way that we're called to act as God's children. And what Jesus here is saying is that anyone who does God's will, who obeys God, they become my family. He is not dissing his biological family here. In fact, you can read scripture. Jesus honored his biological family all the way to the crucifixion. He made sure his mom got taken care of. But here's what Jesus is saying. And this is the fear that many people have with emotional health. It's why so many want to resist it. Because they think, I'm going to be dishonoring my family. I'm, I'm going to be, in some way, dishonoring my mom or my dad or my brothers or my sister. And I don't want to do that, right? Because doesn't the scripture say we're to honor them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Honor your mother and father. No doubt about it. But here's what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that we are called to honor our history. We're to honor our past. We're to honor our cultures. We're to honor our family of origin. We're to bless what we can bless and honor what we can honor, but we are called to obey God. We are called to obey him, which means that we must be willing to live in a different way, that spirituality does not get separated from our emotions, that we choose to bring him our whole self because God is concerned about wholeness for all of us. And this is what Jesus made available to us. It's called the second birth. It's new birth. This morning, if you're here and you've not received that birth, your birthright in Christ, you've not accepted him as your savior, um, we want to encourage you to do that this morning. There's no better time to do it 
than when a representation of his body and blood are coming around. That these elements of a cup and a piece of bread that remind us of his broken body, his shed blood for our, the forgiveness of our sins, to make us whole. That's what this is about, wholeness. And for all of us here, I want us this morning to come to this communion and to bring to God our whole self, to make ourselves not just mentally and intellectually available to God, but to make ourselves wholly and emotionally available to God. He wants all of us. And he wants to be invited into all of us. And this is his invitation to us, to accept who he is, to accept the new life and exchange our old life for his new life. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.